exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I am ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, but not just any fantasy today. You know, last time we gathered, we were finishing Friends Pitching Fantasy, and we walked away with two wonderful books that we have to read, Promise of Blood, uh, the first book of the Powder Mage trilogy by Brian McClellan, and then we've got uh, Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir uh, coming up after that. But in the meantime, you know, as we are reading these books, um, Dylan, you, as you sometimes tend to do, you you went above and beyond with your extracurricular reading, and we have another book to discuss today. Isn't that right? That's exactly right. I went above and beyond. Some might even say I ascended because today we are talking about, in a spoiler-free manner, because you didn't read it, Charles, we are talking about Senlin Ascends by Josiah Bancroft. Wow. Wow. Uh, I see from the reviews, one of the best reads I've had in ages, says Mark Lawrence. So I'm really excited to get into this one. I know, Dylan, you had pitched this book um, two friends pitching fantasies ago. It was not selected, ended up picking uh, Court of Thorns and Roses instead. Tough competition. Um, But you definitely piqued my interest with this one. This one seemed like it was more of like an out there pick, a more thoughtful, um, create like a unique uh, individual kind of story. And so it, and then plus all the praise from Mark Lawrence, of course, uh, combines to, 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 I felt like I kind of missed out not picking it. So I'm really curious now that you've actually read it to see like, you know, how was your experience? Was it good? It was good, Charles. I ended up wow. giving it five stars on Goodreads. Wow. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, out of five, I would say that's pretty strong. I, I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty generous with my ratings generally, Charles. I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, like do this be the best book I've ever read ever. If I'm going <laughs> to give it five stars, which you know, if you're one of those people, fine, do whatever you want. It's your system. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, for me, five is like, oh, yeah, this is is really good. I really enjoyed it. And I would say that Sunland Ascends definitely fits into that category. It is, like you said, a a wholly unique story. I I can say with confidence I've never read a, a book quite like it. I would say I can't really think of too many other protagonists quite like the protagonist. Uh, and... Uh, it is, yeah, it's it's something that I feel pretty confident I could recommend to a lot of people. And that's good to hear. I, I know that the what fascinates me most about this story is that I have no idea what to expect. And with stories like these, it just piques my interest. I love the idea of kind of this original story, this original kind of idea for a story and you know you were praising it and then so many um reviewers were saying it's like this this great read it's very imaginative it's this fantasy sci-fi kind of blend and you know to go back to mark lawrence's review he was like it's not like my books it is however excellent so when you hear that over and over again you're like what is the secret about this book that I'm not getting from like the the reviews and from the back of the book like what is the secret sauce with this book hmm. well Charles do you mention the back of the book so let's let's give that read to, to ground people in the story sure. and then then I'll tell you what you're missing in that back of the <laughs> book the, the secret sauce you're hearing it here first guys or, yeah <laughs> Or much like one of Coca-Cola's uh, <laughs> secret <God>. ingredients. <laughs> Isn't that a thing? There's something with like the Coke. They have free. secret ingredients and yeah. like a secret recipe and this and that. Which is a, as a native of Atlanta, that's about as much as, as we know, you know. Right. They're not going to let you into any more than that. But mm-hmm. let me let you all into the 
first book of the books of Babel, Babel, can never mm-hmm. seem to get that right. Uh, the Tower of Babel, we're going there, is the greatest marvel in the world. Immense as a mountain, the ancient tower holds unnumbered ringdoms, warring and peaceful, stacked on one on the other like the layers of a cake. It is a world of geniuses and tyrants, of airships and steam engines, of unusual animals and mysterious machines. Soon after arriving for his honeymoon at the tower, the mild-mannered headmaster of a small village school, Thomas Semlin, gets separated from his wife, Maria, in the overwhelming swarm of tourists, residents, and miscreants. Semlin is determined to find Maria, but to do so, he'll have to navigate madhouses, ballrooms, and burlesque theaters, Charles. He must... (laughs) He must survive betrayal, assassins, and the long guns of a flying fortress. But if he hopes to find his wife, he will have to do more than just endure. This quiet man of letters must become a man of action. And it's, yeah, it it actually sets the stage pretty well for what you're getting into. But I guess part of why it sets the stage so well is because... It uses a lot of sort of cryptic language, like Mm -hmm. mysterious machines, unusual animals, like madhouses. You know, it's like all these things that it's like, ooh, like you've piqued my interest, but I'm not quite sure exactly what's going on here. And I think that Sinlin Ascends, it's like in Friends Pitching Fantasy, I said it was giving me the sense I almost had this like surrealist feel to it which mm-hmm. i would say parts of it it does but maybe not quite as much as i was originally expecting but i think that it's like there's always this kind of sense that something is amiss like when you're reading the book it's like you don't want to trust anyone that's around you you feel very much grounded in the protagonist who i want to get into in a a little bit talking about because i think it's very he's very interesting in his like boringness (laughs) like he's interesting (laughs) in his mundaneity it's like uh, because like it gets in that back of the book like he is mild manner he's kind of just like a normal guy in a lot of ways uh, but he's thrown into this really mystical oh, scary at times nightmarish world where uh, like he is like this naive tourist completely out of his wits he's trying to go get his wife and everyone around him is like not what they <laughs> seem and untrustworthy and each one of these ringdoms that he goes to like then the rules change dramatically and that's that's one of those strengths of this book i think is like all right like uh we're we're in the basement here like market it's this kind of way and then when you go up to the next ringdom like everything flips on its head and whatever (laughs) whatever you thought you learned in the first one that's not necessarily going to help you here beyond the general sense of like don't trust people and nothing's as it seems so (laughs) it's uh, yeah the setting not only is it interesting and captivating but it is like changing dramatically multiple times throughout the book and still presenting uh really compelling new environment for us to like explore with trepidation (laughs) (laughs) the setting to me is particularly interesting with this this tower with the capital t the tower of i I, Mm. i'm leaning towards babel if i'm being honest uh the tower of babel but that's um, what i said in when we did kwong's book babel i said babel yeah but then i you know, you hear other people and they say well, Babel you know, and then you're like, I can't. There's that Bible story, which I am not well read on the Bible, but I always thought that was the It's tower. pronounced Babel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Bible's, God. yeah, our religious Is it Bible or text. Babel? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I always thought it was the Tower of Babel, but what do I know? And then when someone like so speaks it's Babel in the Bible or it's Babel in the Bible? Is it Babel in the Bible or Babel in the Bible? 
It's Babel and the Babel. <laughs> um, I don't know. I thought the word like babble, like you're babbling from that That's story where they all at one point spoke the same language and then i don't know god got involved and now they all spoke different languages and and that's that where that word comes from was my oh. like us like that's the story i don't and again that's my no spark notes version that sounds right so yeah. it's like oh now you're just babbling on and on you know like i, I think that's where it comes from mm. so i'm gonna say um babel but if you say babel then one of us is gonna be right guaranteed so yeah, we they, you say babel i say babel that's the beautiful thing <laughs> about this beautiful country it's a tomato tomato situation <laughs> but i think they're um, allowed to do that in most countries no no america's <laughs> you know got freedom of speech you know <laughs> right you're correct yeah we're the only country that you're allowed to alternate how you say the name of this series yeah. but i what i was trying to talk about was the setting because it reminds me um not like in spirit more than anything else of the Chathryn Voyage Quartet with mm. Robert V.S. Reddick. And, you know, these kinds of settings always kind of fascinate me where it's like this contained singular thing, but it's so massive and so expansive that it may as well be an entire like universe, you know, and Chathryn Voyage takes place on a ship and you're like, okay, a ship. But the ship is so vast and large. It's got multiple tiers. It's got mythical creatures living in pipe systems. And then it's got people swinging across the sails. And then it's got the galley. And then it's got all the the, the, the ship's quarters. It takes on a life of its own. And the setting becomes like a, a force of nature almost. And it sounds like that's where we're going with the Tower of Babel as well. What do you think, Donna? Someone who has read both oh. books. Well, I never made that connection, but I think that you've hit on something really interesting, and I, I would totally agree both with the the general idea of this like this contained thing, but it could be a world onto itself, mm-hmm. and also just how imaginative Senlin Ascends is, and the fact that like you're going through these different ringdoms and they're all so different to each other, but. It's that's kind of similar to Chathryn Voyage in some ways, not just with the areas of the ship, but then, you know, you might dock somewhere and all of a sudden this is a totally different area with new rules. And mm-hmm. and I think both books, one of the first or both series, uh, the Chathryn Voyage, they're both quartets, I think, as well. No kidding. I, I believe this is a, I know Chathryn Voyage is a quartet, but I believe the final yeah, book. Yeah, there's four books, The, the Fall of Babel's book four. Yeah, so both uh. quartets. And you know what else is interesting? Both are absolutely, both authors are absolutely championed by Mark Lawrence. Have you noticed that? <laughs> Mark <laughs> Lawrence, so uh, friend of the show and author of uh, many awesome Look, my instincts and... turned out to be pretty good. If you like quartets with really imaginative settings that have been praised by Mark Lawrence, you have two options now. You know, <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, imaginative, definitely one of the first words. And that was the thing about Robert V.S.'s Reddick's series, too, was one of my favorite things about it was the amount of original thought and creativity that fueled that book is unparalleled. I'm like, how did this guy even think this stuff up, (laughs) let alone write it in an entertaining way? I believe you asked him that question, basically. many times. I was like, how? After every book. Why? (laughs) what is going on in your in your beautiful beautiful brain and i i I get those vibes from this story as well it's the way people talk about it you know and that's something that i admire quite a bit yeah and there's a lot to admire with that it's there's a reason people will describe it as as so unique and different and i think those certainly fit with the chathryn voyage quartet and Mm -hmm. I think that it's, yeah, it's got an interesting background, this book as well, that maybe we should get into uh, the meta of it. Like the story Mm -hmm. of this book is that it was originally published, self-published in, I believe, 2013. And then it was not until many years later that, uh, you know, and it 
Mark Lawrence outlines it pretty well. He discovered well it in Spiffball, he, right? Yeah, so it was submitted to Spiffbo, I believe, in 2016. And maybe you can fact check me on that, Charles. And it mm, was, okay. yeah, at that point, it had only 50 ratings on Goodreads. And then we're at a point now where it has 28,239 ratings on Goodreads. Isn't that amazing? Sense. Yeah. And this is the magic that can come from Mark Lawrence's self-published fancy blog off of which I was uh, a judge, uh, not in this year, but way, uh, way back in the distant land of like 2021. And it was anyway, a, it was submitted to that. It actually didn't end up making the final, which is pretty <laughs> shocking, but uh, for it through being in the competition and then Mark Lawrence read it and it picked up a lot of steam both from the competition and Mark Lawrence kind of sending it to some of his uh, folks that he knew in the traditional publishing world and then it ended up getting picked up and it is now a traditionally published book and that ha- all of that has combined to make this a massively successful debut for Josiah Bancroft. So it just took a few years after it being <laughs> published to get to that. Yeah, point. you asked me to fact check you. So I found um, an article from Mark Lawrence's blog, and this was back in December of 2016. And he goes, congratulations to Josiah Bancroft as Sandlin Ascends reaches 500 Goodread ratings and still doesn't fall below the average rating of 4.5. And then it's like three years to reach 50 ratings, four more months to reach 500, less than two more years to reach 5,000. And in 2021, on the day uh, the fourth and final book was published, Sandlin Ascends passes 20,000 Goodreads ratings. Um, So... And that is in itself pretty amazing. So I guess that was um, around 2016, and maybe he was congratulating him. So maybe it was an earlier, um, yeah, spiffbo. But that's just an interesting point, and that's like that. That to me is just like really a, a sweet story of like there's so many talented authors, writers people with ideas writing stuff that we just miss all the time like the greatest story we would love is just sitting on a bookshelf somewhere we have no idea so when when you can make discoveries we're not even on a bookshelf self-published and has you know 32 ratings on goodreads (laughs) and you and i will unfortunately never discover it and it's kind of uh, it's kind of sad when you think about it that way, but it's also amazing when you think about how many incredible stories are out there just waiting. Said three to be years to reach fifty ratings. So then, twenty sixteen, that would have been twenty thirteen. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I got the dates right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that sounds correct. So it's it's as magical, it's as mystical world. It's got this magical mystical background that is hard to imagine and how it ended up becoming so popular and it at the center of it all charles is our protagonist thomas senlin who's described there as the mild-mannered headmaster of a small village school and I think you hear a lot of these sort of from humble beginnings. I I mean, we always like to joke about like Rand in the Wheel of Time, for example, which is a Mm. series that massively popular and for good reason. But it's an easy target when it comes to like, oh, I'm just a humble farm boy (laughs) who's shepherd uh, like jacked and you know, (laughs) like six foot six jacked like red hair and like these deep piercing green eyes probably like they're green or blue those you know you know one of those you know they ain't brown like my eyes charles <laughs> <laughs> know yeah they're more a like a beautiful greenish blue like mine right exactly and he's more like and you know over six feet like me you like know, you so. yeah mm-hmm. 
Yeah, except with that that red hair to make him more unique than you, Charles. Uh, yes, you <laughs> pointed out my one flaw that will never make me a yeah. fancier. <laughs> but definitely, you definitely have his build for sure. And I, no I can, can dye check. hair, you know. I, the, the, the eyes and the height, those are harder to fake. The hair's yeah. easy. Yeah, and are Maybe you... Maybe should go red. <laughs> yeah, you got to dye the beard too? <laughs> Just shave it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Worth it and... to be more like Rand. <laughs> and don't we all want to be more like Rand? Because he... Despite insisting throughout at least multiple books uh, that I read uh, that he's a humble shepherd, it's like everyone can clearly see that he's like this badass who's amazing at everything. Mm. And the farm boy thing is kind of a, uh, you know, just a, a trope to lean on there to pretend that he's coming from these mild you know, upbringing that's going to lead him to some amazing story. And, you know, is an amazing story. Many, many people feel that way for sure. And <laughs> how'd I do? Keep how'd it I going, do? keep it going. Yeah, keep it going. All right. And Senlin Ascends, however, like this guy is legit. Thomas Senlin is legit what this person would be like being just some random headmaster from a small village school like he is suddenly thrust into this world that is so not only different from his own but harsher and more dangerous and mysterious and i'll say charles i mean we always talk about how when we're reading a book it's like oh yeah like this character like we talked about this with the court of thorns and roses when we read that like the like yeah this character does these like wacky things that i would never do but i guess that's what makes them a good protagonist for a fantasy novel is they're just Mm -hmm. charging these situations when i would just be like i'm just gonna sit here and not do that and (laughs) it's like okay well that i guess that's why i would be a boring fantasy protagonist protagonist but charles Mm. thomas senlin he's he's every man he's you charles Mm -hmm. he is you he's Mm. you and if you were put into uh, the tower of babel i think the way that you would react is probably relatively similar to how (laughs) senlin would react which is either incredible or frustrating or both when you're reading this book but it's it's really interesting because it's like i don't know he's one of the most realistic protagonists that i've ever read because of that like his reactions to things are just so normal in a just completely abnormal setting yet that (laughs) keeps it interesting still oh yes Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because it's like uh, without the hero complex playing into the like self-insert thing like i Mm -hmm. truly felt like i'm like yeah like I might not want to admit it, but this is probably what I would do. <laughs> and it's because we like, are we, are we all fantasy heroes uh, who are going to just like naturally take to a situation like this? No, most of us are. Most of us are Charles. And it's. <laughs> <laughs> I am for the people. What can I say? Right. <laughs> of the people. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And so is Thomas Stenlin. And. Mm. It's interesting, though, because as the back of the book implies, it says this quiet man of letters must become a man of action. And Mm. he is put in a situation where he's looking for his newlywed wife and he's trying to save her and he's using what sort of skills he has to try to make this happen. And yeah, is he out of his element? Is he in over his head? All those things for sure. But gosh darn it, Charles, he is trying and he he really gives a go. And you know what? In a very natural way, that's how he starts to grow and evolve as a character in the way that someone who just like is 
forced to by the situation around them. Like if he were to not take on some more courageous characteristics and learn from the things that's happening to him and become a little bit more of that man of action, then that tower would eat him up whole. So he kind of has to, but he takes to it in the way that it really feels like many of us, us normies out there who aren't (laughs) Randall Thor uh, would take to it. And you just, you don't see that too often. It's like in being such a boring, normal person, especially at the start of the book, Semlin becomes one of the most interesting (laughs) fancy protagonists you're going to read because he's confronted with such a complex, unique circumstance that he has to adapt to. Wow. And that for an author can be a really hard thing to pull off. One to have a genuine, like every man protagonist and make him feel genuine. You know, that can be a hard thing to have feel authentic. And then the other piece is like to keep the action moving and to and to keep it like entertaining as as well. And to make those victories and confrontations feel earned. You know, that that's not an easy thing to balance at all, you know. So it like that's um it, it speaks that combined with the ambition of the setting and the narrative and all that, it, it really speaks to Josiah Bancroft's uh skill as an author it definitely does and he he's also got very captivating prose that can yeah can keep you invested i think that it's amazing how much an author can get away with when they're like in terms of a story potentially seeming slow or what have you like you can talk about patrick rothfuss's king killer chronicle that uh, some folks would call slow or say they don't like how the you know the second book they feel like meanders for over a thousand pages and doesn't accomplish what they were hoping for um but that's it's one of my it's favorite kind series. of you to yeah lampoon wheel of time and uh wise man's fear king killer chronicles too so well, I, I love oh i'm not i'm not lampooning it i i just have noticed that as criticism that people say i love it i mean you know mm. that that's king killer chronicle my that and first law are pretty much my my favorite series and it's like it's uh anyway pros trying to talk about rothfuss gets away with pretty much doing whatever he wants uh in the in the realm of fantasy writing <laughs> uh, he gets a lot of criticism online for uh, other things that he does in uh, you know the real world but he gets away with his fantasy writing choices because of his incredible prose and that's something that even there are times where i could see this book as being perceived as slow but it never feels like that and a big part mm-hmm. of that is uh Josiah bancroft is the kind of guy who can drop a line that you're like oh wait let me let me just stop for a second and let me think about that sentence and what he's trying to say and then you can move forward and i find that's you know that's rarer than you might think in the fantasy genre like even someone like brandon sanderson talks about how like he wants his prose to be a clear window through which people can see the story and he'll he'll say like i don't even really want people to stop and think about the beautiful line i just crafted because then they're not in the story at that moment so Mm. i yeah i i mean there's different ways of writing you know he talks about how like other writers do it differently and that's incredible as well but that's not what he's trying to accomplish uh bancroft actually has a background as a poet and you'll see that come up in how yeah poetic for lack of a better way of putting it you can see i'm not a poet uh, how poetic his <laughs> is interesting i mean it's got all the ingredients for something pretty special you know what it also kind of reminds me of from the story and the setting and all that have you seen um spirited away the um i have is it kind of like that where it's like you've got this little girl who gets separated from her parents or, you know, her parents get turned into pigs or whatever. And she gets this very foreign, 
fish out of water scenario where the rules change every two minutes. It's almost like an odyssey of characters and stuff that happens to her until she, you know, grows up and, and you know, all that good stuff. Is it anything like <laughs> that? And is you got also this like kind of you're not quite sure what's happening everything's always changing it's kind of yeah um surreal at times you know that also is the connection that's a good that's a good comparison for sure i would say that spirited away feels a lot more whimsical like this is uh, this it just feels like you're there's a lot of feeling of being in like the dark underbelly of the world. No matter what mm. ringdom he's in, it's like everything still feels kind of corrupt. And like mm. I said before, you don't want to trust anyone. It's it's a story where you're always on edge. Every time he's meeting a new character, you're like, oh, what's this character going to do? Like, I don't, I don't trust him. And <laughs> I think that in Spirited Away... Well, it has that same kind of feel of just like a normal human taken into this world where it's like, mm-hmm. what is going on? And having <laughs> to learn some lessons and all that kind of this stuff. Uh, grittier. I, I think it's a good comparison, but yeah, this is, like you just said, grittier and Looking darker. at the cover also, it's like very industrial, but the guy's wearing like a suit and then it's this stark red on black is there any kind of parallel to history of like the ussr or like anything like that or is that just the cover art throwing me for a loop because <laughs> i'm beginning like soviet russia vibes from the cover uh if there's anything to do with the ussr then it went so far over my head it might have flown over the tower of babel but it's yeah i but i see what you're getting at Charles. the story doesn't sound like it is but i'm looking at the cover and i'm like this looks like um ussr propaganda poster you know you know there is kind of i'm trying to think if i can get into this even really without spoiling anything Mm. but uh there's there is a sense of like this is what the nature of the tower and the ways in which it's maybe not as great as it it seemed to be when he was planning out his honeymoon there. <laughs> uh, like this is how those negative aspects of the tower can impact people and make them not the best in how they treat other people. I don't know how to say that hmm. without spoiling stuff, but it's kind of got this like this is what these aspects of society can do to people when they're pushed to this point and it's like there's some sort of meditation and musings on uh like i guess just like the nature of humanity that go on here i think there's a lot more to explore in the future books around that but you you get the sense of because like Senlin comes in and he's very naive he's from a small town and he's optimistic he believes in the good of people and uh, like he's never had to deal with these situations where people are uh, I guess uh, more like scrounging for their resources and their livelihood and um, more corruption that kind of stuff he's just not acquainted with that so he comes in with this uh, very positive view of humanity and it's like how is that altered or not altered in the face of mm-hmm. some information that contradicts that like everyone's so so grand but yeah mm. i think that's about as far as i can go there but i'll say the cover is it probably gives a sort of industriousness that it's giving off Charles. Part of that is the book is steampunk. I mean, mm-hmm. in terms of the technology. I haven't read a lot of steampunk. That's a, yeah. It's interesting. I almost, it's interesting that we're like 35 minutes into the episode. And this is the first time I've said steampunk. <laughs> it's like, cause to me, I don't know, people talk about for sure in their reviews, but I guess I'm like, that's pretty secondary, if not tertiary, to like the whole thing. It's like, that is, it is steampunk. That has a level of technology and there are like airships and things like that. But I guess it's like the tower itself 
is like each level is so unique and different you almost feel like you've entered into a whole new world where it's like the does the technology change drastically no but i'm not you almost stop feeling like you're necessarily in the same like subgenre of fantasy novel when mm. you you're like okay now we're we're here and it's like this which is all I can really do from a spoiler-free angle. Uh, we're here, it's like this, and you're kind of just in a totally new mindset. And there's this background sense of like, oh, there's airships, and people who maybe aren't like Senlin think to pay to airship to a particular area, uh, and then airship back down, and they don't have to go through all of the ringdoms he has to go through to get to where he initially intended but it's like uh, i don't know steampunk it wouldn't be like if someone was like i'm a huge fan of steampunk i wouldn't be like oh you like steampunk have i got the novel for you it's like (laughs) i don't know it's not like a huge aspect of it interesting in my eyes i mean there's ways i think you can make the case it's a huge aspect but those are not at the forefront in this novel that's about all you can say i guess that's uh, yeah because i don't know it's like the steampunk genre is kind of a very specific vibe you know so it's kind of interesting that this book dabbles in it but it's not like the forefront of its setting and it's like i think future books aesthetic. will be more steampunk i guess is mm. something i can try to say interesting yeah all right. Well, I, I mean that. I guess that is a good question. This is one book of four. Is this like a standalone with sequel potential, or are we getting into like cliffhanger? Gotta read the next one. Like, how are we at with the ending? Yeah, I would say it's closer to cliffhanger. Gotta read the next one, and that is oh. for me the part of it that was least satisfying because you know I'm I'm all about I think you are too Charles I'm all about the like write your first book as standalone with sequel potential even if you fully or, plan or, on writing I just am a fan of contained like, stories yes you know where it's like contain your story in the book it can have sequels and it can be 12 books long but sure. give me at least a reading experience you know don't give me half of a reading experience and then have to go to another book, you know? I feel that. Yeah. So you're saying that happens yeah. a little bit in this book? It doesn't sound like it's too bad. I would say that if you... I'm, it's tough to talk about endings without spoilers, yeah. but I'll just say that you will probably feel like the story was not fully told if you stop at the end of the first book like you like i i mean that's where i am i'm at the end of the first book and i would say they're like this particular story that began with the beginning of book one like is far from over Mm. and i think that yeah there's a lot more to it's not just like yeah i can't say much more than that but it does not give the sense of a book that would ever make sense as a standalone book. Maybe that's the best God. way to put God. it. Well, it's like, let's say, um, I, I, yeah, I think it's not spoilery to say like Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson. I feel fully comfortable that if someone just wanted to read the first book of Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson, mm-hmm. it's like, all right, you've read that's full story clearly there's a lot more to do i mean we're talking about a series that has an initial trilogy a trilogy that takes place like in a different era uh, like <laughs> era two Mistborn universe then a whole cosmere <laughs> universe around it and supposedly there's going to be a third era of the Mistborn series so it's like there's a lot to do like you said charles right 12 bucks who cares but i think you'd agree with me Mistborn, the first book, tells a Mistborn, the final empire, the confusingly titled (laughs) the final empire, book one of Mistborn. Like that tells a full, complete story. And that's where you want to stop? Sure. 
Should you stop? No. It's a great the next ending books are amazing. Too, but, oh, so good. But <laughs> really dude, good the ending. ending to the whole trilogy is even better in my opinion. Yeah. But yeah. this isn't a I mean, misborn it's just a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. This isn't a misborn episode, but just to, you know, give a sense of you've got a book that's known for like its foreshadowing and how it sets up the final conclusion of the trilogy, but you still can tell it contains story in the first one. Um I would say Sunlin Ascends definitely leads you like okay well i i guess if i want this full story I, i've got to read at least the next that's good to know that's good to know because i wasn't sure yeah. you, you never know with these you know kinds of series where you're going to be left off and to me i would feel obligated if i was going to pick up one i'd pick up all of them and that's just another level of commitment to just be ready for and that kind of matters to me when i'm picking a book i'm like how much of a commitment am i signing up for here can i read one and move on or do i got to read four books like what are, what are we talking about here so that's that's good to know not a deterrent by any means but um it's good to know because even like you know say Joe Crombie, the blade itself you know that ending is it a contained oh, yeah. story that's you gotta like read the whole trilogy. yeah you got to read the whole thing and it's our favorite series of all time so it's you know, there's no one way to do it it's just it's good to know though it's good to know but um sounds like we're we're nearing the end here i just got you know my my classic age-old questions of um you know who would you recommend this book to and what other books are like it that you would recommend for fans of this book or maybe fans of other books that if they have read those they would want to give this a read dude it's this one is so hard yeah, it sounds very I unique. always know that that question is <laughs> Chathryn Voyage up, and I'm like <laughs> Chathryn Voyage I mean Chathryn Voyage is an amazing call there Charles that would be like among the highest like of books that I would recommend uh, for like I would recommend fans of the Chathryn Voyage check this one out you know what actually so you mentioned that Mark Lawrence wrote a review, it sounds like, quite a few years ago, though, at this point, right? When was that mm-hmm. review from? 2016, you said? Right. Something like that. And he said, this is nothing like any of my books, or not like my work. And it's like, you know what this actually is a little bit more like? It's the book that wouldn't burn by Mark Lawrence. Like, Interesting. I would say, yeah, because I would say that the book that wouldn't burn. He does burn, get a little like, weird with has, it in the book that wouldn't burn. Exactly. I would say it's because he does get a little bit more surreal, a little bit more weird with those books, a little bit more uh, like, uh, and a little bit more air, like jumping into very different worlds um, for I don't know how else I can put it, not spoiling anything there, but it's like, I think that sort of jarring, but in a good way, sensation of like, okay, we're here, now we're there, now everything's different, what are the rules of this place? I think that definitely is present in the book that wouldn't burn. And you know what? So that would be one of my recommendations. I liked Spirited Away there, Charles. Mm-hmm. I'll also say so on the good I always look like the good reads readers also enjoyed it's got like the all three books of Fonda Lee's Greenbone saga that's mm-hmm. the like Jade City Jade Legacy then there's a Sanderson book Tress of the Emerald Sea which we haven't read yet that's one of and, his new and, ones one of his yeah. like COVID like Drops. secret project like, i wrote or, four books yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i think yeah, that was one hard of them, right? for everyone and uh, <laughs> it was hard for me so i wrote four books uh, yeah he <laughs> he definitely yeah did that and then yeah it's all three books of those are what comes up first and i i'm not sure charles i i don't really see that but hmm. I, like I don't really see the similarities really. I wonder why that's the case. That, but I guess according to Goodreads, if you're a fan of the Greenbone Saga by Fonda Lee, then this might be a good fit for you. Sounds and like Goodreads was struggling a little bit, just as as I, you are. Yeah, I mean we're talking 
about a like a series that the number one thing that everyone's always saying about it is that it's unique and they don't know what to compare it to and then it's like all right uh now now i gotta compare it to stuff and say fans of blah 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 will love something in a sense it's like i don't know charles and and maybe the fact that i am struggling here is the best recommendation i can give (laughs) because it's like it's unique it's captivating there's so much to love here and i think that a lot of people would would really enjoy this one well well i mean it, it's piqued my interest i'm just so captivated by the idea of like he's got a great voice a great setting creative plot like endorsed by you know people who i you know respect and admire in the industry and all this and and praise from you as well so there, there's a lot Ooh, i got like. one charles Oh, let's hear it. Robin Hobb, the Farseer trilogy. Not really? because it's not anything. Okay, so it's not anything like the the series. Very different. Like Robin Hobb feels very classic, like medieval European fantasy sort of stuff. All I, nothing to do with Semlin Ascends's Tower of Babel steampunk stuff, but. We're talking about a relatively, they say, mild-mannered character, more of an everyman. And it is one point of view and basically a character study of this person, how they react to really intense circumstances surrounding them. And an environment that forces them into certain roles that they would never take of their own volition. And I think if you get to that fundamental psychological experience, then it's actually pretty similar to what you're reading in terms of Fitz chivalry in the Farseer trilogy. Fans of Robin Hobb. It's also one of those like more challenging to appreciate kind of things too, you know, where it's like, is it slow or is it just different? Beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Is it beautiful? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, well, wow, we're, you know, lots of interesting pulls to talk about Senlin Ascends, and it's such an interesting story of how it came about, too, and just all around a really interesting work that I hope to add to my um, reading repertoire one day. Um, But for now, I'm glad that you got to read it. You kind of screened it for me, gave me that endorsement. Thank you, because... Sometimes books like that can be considered risky for me. So I, I, I just had a feeling it was going to be good, though. Um, yes, yeah, so this is why Sedlin is so much like you, Charles. The idea of picking up a book that sounds uh, different from other books that you've read is, is very risky. I don't know if I'm ready to take that on. It was leaning. So it was favorable imagine, odds, you know. Imagine <laughs> this man that you're hearing talk, the one that is scared to try a book that's outside of his comfort zone, but might be willing to, despite the risk. Imagine him thrust into the world of the Tower of Babel. I did choose um, A Court of Thorns and Roses, like a, <laughs> tens of millions. How many millions of Goodreads reviews? I don't know if it's 10 million, but it's, it's a like lot of Goodreads two, reviews. I think. Two million Goodreads reviews. Yep. And it's, you know, it's was a pretty safe pick. And I'm glad we read it, but I did feel like I missed out on this more... Uh, um, this more of a, it feels more like a gem, you know, uh, than than some of the others. Hidden gem. The the fans, not as hidden anymore. Not as hidden anymore, but it was hidden for it lay dormant for years. You know, yeah. it was one of those things that was like this book was written and shelved for three years before it got published. You know, like which is kind of crazy to think about. It. It's so weird. Yeah. So crazy to think about, but that's just the kind of world that we live in where these things are possible. So shout out to Mark Lawrence, shout out to Josiah Bancroft, and uh, yeah, Dylan, unless there's anything more you have to say about this book, I think we can uh, get that sweet, sweet outro music going. Last thing is that our friends over at Phantology interviewed Josiah Bancroft, so I wanted to... I gotta check that out. 
yeah, I wanted to give you folks a heads up to head over there if you want to learn more about the book. Uh, they keep it spoiler-free over there, Perfect. too. And, yeah, you can get to know the author. He uh, seems like a really interesting dude. And, of course, they conduct a great interview over there. Good shout-out. We definitely got to check that out. Um, yeah. So... I know what I'm doing tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Someone has big plans. That's right. So uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up then so we can get on to get on to that. What do you say? I say let's get that sweet, sweet outro music pumping, Charles. All right, here we go. Thank you all, one and all, for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today, um, a great way to let us know is over on the socials. That's at the FTF Podcast on Instagram and at the FTF Podcast with a number one at the end for Twitter, um, aka X. And now, uh, Dylan, if the audience like what they heard today, want to support the show even more than engaging with us over on the socials what can they do toss five stars to our podcast which you can do over on spotify it's just two clicks at the top of the friends talking fantasy podcast feed and helps us so much when you do that you can also rate and review on apple Podcasts. that means you can write nice things about us on there and you know what when you do that it puts a smile on my face and presumably on charles's face as well but just listening is more than enough thank you so much for doing that thank you all so much for listening puts a big smile on my face as well you guys are awesome thanks for listening all the way to the end and as always Go forth and conquer, friends.